0: A graphic novel, a TV show Well, it's not TV, it's HBO And will this thing succeed? And by how much, man? And some might cheer and some might scoff Because it's Damon Lindelof But either way, we're off to watch some Watchmen Watching Watchmen, talking Watchmen, analyzing Watchmen, and maybe arguing over Watchmen.
1: Welcome to Watchmen Watch, a podcast about Watchmen, where we watch Watchmen, you watch Watchmen, we all watch Watchmen. I'm Alex.
0: I'm Justin.
1: And we are going to be talking about Chapter 8 of Watchmen, Old Ghosts, as we continue our, our walk through Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' classic comic book series leading up to the premiere of HBO's Watchmen on October 20th. Uh, speaking of which, I, I think uh, you were away last week, Justin. You were traveling yeah. cross-country with our co-host, Alan Moore. Uh, and then
0: this week, Pete's gone Oh, and Alan's gone. What's going on? Well, it's sort of, I'm uh, sad to say, we. so we drove all the way uh, cross-country out to L.A. for a karaoke contest. Um, we got all set. We were both super excited. He was gregarious, just like giggling, super mm-hmm, happy. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I know, uh, Alan. You don't need to describe that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just like a real giggle monster, uh, putting his name on stuff as opposed to the other. And um, we, our song is Paradise by the Dashboard Light, obviously, by Meatloaf. Loaf. Sure. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, we both wanted to sing the the woman part. Okay. And we had to split up over creative differences. Oh, no. Um, so uh, what's going on? Where's Pete? Is Pete so off? Pete's out there doing the man, the male part. Alan flew him in. He's got all that uh, watchman cache. So he flew Pete in to just do the guy part.
1: Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing I know about Alan, he's always willing to put out his own money for other people. He's yeah. very into – he's always dropping, and it's honestly
0: a little annoying. He's like, you guys know I'm the author of Watchmen, and I got yeah. a lot of money because of that. Yeah, and he's like, this round's on me. You know, I have everybody drinks on Watchmen is what he's always mm-hmm. saying. He – the other day we were hanging out, and he
1: started stuffing dollar bills in my G-string, and I was like, I'm not wearing a G-string, Alan – this is, you're just stuffing dollar bills down my pants
0: uh, Yes, though I will say those are very, very short pants for t- To be mistaken uh, I'm comfortable? Yeah, no, it's good Those are the smallest jorts I've seen in quite some time Thank you, I really appreciate that Let's jump in and talk about Old
1: Ghosts Now, I will mention that uh, Pete did tell me about this issue He's very bummed to not be here to talk about this issue mm. Of course, this is the big prison breakout issue a lot of yeah. rorschach stuff going on he's very into it this is i believe he said his favorite issue in the run really oh that's yeah interesting.
0: how do you feel about it justin well this is the issue where sort of all of the gears are coming together all the disparate stories and characters uh are the sort of the the squad is forming with mm-hmm. uh, dr manhattan appearing um Uh, night owl and uh, silk specter two, their relationship is going strong they're fighting crime they rescue rorschach rorschach's uh sort of worldview is expanded to almost all of us to including night owl the new frontiersman as we learn here we get a sort of inside look at that um and we're all starting to sort of believe rorschach
1: Yeah. it's. uh, I did want to talk about that a bit, and this is certainly jumping right into the middle of the issue, as well as the back matter of the issue. But uh, we've talked a lot on the podcast about Rorschach's worldview, how it was different back in 1986 when this was published versus 2019 when we're reviewing it now. But even, even through that lens, the new frontiersman which Rorschach read religiously, read it every single day, as we know. Man, that's that's an anti-Semitic paper, like straight yeah. up there. What do you think it means? This is the thing that I was wrestling with, particularly reading the back matter, because we get to see the staff of the New Frontiersmen putting together their paper and then we read a snippet of the dummy version of that paper um, that they are both anti-Semitic, racist, and terrible, but also closer to the truth than anybody else. What do you think that means?
0: Uh, well, I, I think it's confusing. Um, I, I, a couple of things. I mean, I think it's, it, like I was saying, it's meant to be sort of a larger uh, reflection of Rorschach's conspiracy-minded thinking. I think it, if I was thinking as the writer of this, I think it's saying... Hey, even these outlandish things are sometimes correct, mm-hmm. and in, even the the disgusting rapper. I'm assuming that Alan Moore is not uh, a racist, anti Semite. Sure, but I think he was trying to say even this like disgusting package sometimes is gets gets it right. Like a, a stop clock is right uh, twice a day. Mm-hmm. And I think that fits with a lot of the clock imagery we have here. Um, that's the way, sort of the charitable way I can say it. The uncharitable thing is back in this, back at then, in the 80s, like, there were these like zines and small publications that uh, had these just bad ideas and put them out into the world and had a small group of followers. And literally, because of the internet, that is why we're, our politics are sort of so messed up, because you have <laughs> sure uh, these like far-right uh, news sources that have been moved into the mainstream, and Makes, I feel like that's a lot what the Watchmen series is going to be getting into is like websites like Breitbart and Daily Wire. I feel like the, the modern mm-hmm. translation of all this stuff and they have affected our politics in a huge way.
1: Well, to get even deeper down this well, and we're certainly going to be probably digging ourselves a grave with a certain section of the audience, I think. But uh, there's a running theme through this entire comment comic, that the outside people, the people who are the deviants, the people that are removed from society, like the comedian, like Rorschach, like the new frontiersman, they're the only ones that really see things for how they truly are, versus Dan and Laurie, for the most part, they're willing to just cruise in their lives. You know, they're just sort of doing their thing. They're going along. They're ignoring everything. The regular people are barely involved at all. They're just sort of following along what everybody else is telling them to do. And ultimately, that's Adrian Veidt's plan is he believes, well, if I tell people it's this thing, they're going to believe it. So it's a very cynical, very nihilistic view of the way the world works. And the reason I said digging well is... I think one of the very bad influences that's come out of Watchmen and seeped into comics and pop culture is this idea that if you do stand outside of society, you are the person that is always right. You know, you look at we've talked a lot about on our other podcasts about Joker, and certainly we haven't seen the movie. I think by the time this episode comes out. Uh, The movie will just be out in theaters, but that seems to be saying the same sort of thing where it's this cynical darkness, this outsider who truly is the person who sees society for the grimy, bad that it usually is. And the rest of the normies like us, like you and me, frankly, are just kind of trucking along. But I don't think society is as simple as that, frankly.
0: No, and even in this book, like, I think a lot of people, like we were saying, and, and Pete even really reads into Rorschach as the hero or as the person that you're meant to identify with. And I don't know, I, I think it's it's pretty even-handed. I think the mystery, the fact that it lines up with Rorschach's uh, conspiracy theories makes it naturally feel like it's from him his point of view. But he suffers through so much of this, and he is, in, in the end, he doesn't, like, Mm -hmm. unravel the mystery the mystery sort of comes for the heroes uh and they get drawn in by adrian veidt uh as we will read eventually so like and rorschach loses so like uh, to me it feels like uh i don't know it it's not like we are that's that's the wrong lesson to take from this is that that rorschach is right the whole time and conspiracy Mm -hmm. theories are meant to be believed Well, I think part of that is they're not offering a solution, right? They're
1: pointing out the ills of society. They're pointing out this corruption, this death, this rot that is the base of everything. But all they're really saying is, see, this is bad versus clearly Adrian Veidt's solution isn't good. Just trucking along and ignoring things isn't good, but not coming up with an out for that is also not necessarily good, not figuring out a way forward. And ultimately what I think they're pointing out is, well, one of the things that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons are pointing out is that society is broken. There is this rot under it. There is through the government, through our art, through our entertainment, through our everyday relationships, uh, they are broken But it's more holding up this mirror to this thing and saying, here, see, like the new Frontiersman does, though obviously in a very extreme, very wrong way. And then ultimately it is up to the viewer to talk about this and reflect on it and think about what they themselves are going to do.
0: So then who are we? We're the pirate uh, on a raft of dead bodies? Well, I I
1: think we talked about how Rorschach is the pirate, right? I don't... I don't know who we are in this comic.
0: Well, I I would think the way that we see the the um, the curse of the black freighter through the the reader who we we mm-hmm. see the comic book page in panel a lot. I feel like that's meant to be uh, just a device to get us into that story, and we are then that person suffering. The world is uh, our lives are like long and torturous. We have these goals, and it's we're always just two steps. Uh, away from them and we sacrifice so much to get what we want and then it's uh, horrifying in the end
1: well Uh, if anything i'll just throw this out there and this is a very unformed opinion but if anything maybe we're dr manhattan in a certain way we i mean you mentioned the kid who's reading the comic by the newsstand and we get to see him again this issue We're him, and in a way he's Dr. Manhattan who is able to experience all these things simultaneously in whatever order he wants. It's the same thing with us as the comic reader, right? We're looking at all these different panels. You can visually look at the full page where you see nine panels at the same time, or you can choose to focus in on one panel, or you can choose to focus in on multiple panels. Certainly, Gibbons is offering us... A way of walking through it And a way of looking through it uh, But it's up to us If we decide we want to flip five pages ahead Or go back a couple of pages That's how we do it
0: and Yeah, that's cool I, I've always thought of Dr. Manhattan as the author Though mm-hmm. uh, and Sort of for the same reason It's just the, the further outside perspective Where the author is deciding It knows the whole story And is deciding the order in which we get to read it
1: now, one other thing I'll throw out at you, and this might be old news by the time we post this episode. Uh, we tape these a little while in advance. Uh, there was an article that came out about a week ago. Our time in EW it was an interview with Damon Lindelof where he was talking about the HBO version of Watchmen. And there was a bit of an uproar online because he said that the TV show wouldn't moralize and people yeah. got very upset. They said, oh, what are you talking about? Oh, great. This doesn't seem true to the spirit of Watchmen. But I would say based on our discussion right now, I think what Watchmen doesn't do and what it does, particularly in this issue, is it doesn't moralize. It pre- presents you with moral situations and then leaves it up to you, the reader, to decide how to react to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, and it, it, it's pretty even-handed. Like, we're not meant to – that's why I think so many people are like, who's the hero of Watchmen? And it's hard to say. Like, if it was more moralized, mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, it's obviously Night Owl or or Dr. Manhattan or whoever, or Adrian Veidt, for that matter. So I, I do think it's pretty even-handed. Like, when I finished Watchmen for the first time, I was like, man, Ozymandias had that shit figured out. <laughs> he, you liked him? Well, he – i think the the book's meant to make you think like who saved the world he did also yeah you know rorschach was in his own way his rigid morality i mean we're going to talk about this in a few issues obviously killed him and he lost so he was for the sake of the world or the fate of the world he was a bit of the villain that was trying to stop ozymandias from saving the planet from itself
1: yeah well This is something we touched on a little bit in the last episode of the podcast. Pete and I talked about because the issue was so focused on Dan and Laurie, and I think the same thing happens here. These two issues are the most superhero comic we've gotten so far, and I think that's because Dan and Laurie are the most middle-of-the-road characters. Both of them are kind of very casual about being heroes. Dan was a billionaire and thought, yeah, sure, I could be a superhero. That sounds like fun. Laurie, as we revisit in this issue, only did it because she thought, well, my mother did it, so I guess I should do it as well. Yeah. But at the same time, they're the ones that get the most in superhero action. So when I read first read Watchmen, they were the ones that I – Identified with that, I hooked into the most because to me they felt like the most recognizable characters.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. That was definitely they were the ones you're like, oh, I get this, and I like that they're hooking up and quote maybe maybe in love, maybe not. You're really pulling for Dan, I think, yeah. for a lot of this, where it's like, work it out, dude. <laughs> yeah, you could do it. I think also it's
1: very clearly. Painting him as a 40-year-old overweight man with glasses is really gutting for that comic book reading demographic where it's like, hey, that's you. You're yeah. this guy. You could be Night Owl. Get in the ship.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he has a plan for everything. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, let's you want to jump into the issue. You want to walk through it? Yeah, let's walk through it a little bit. Uh, so, we start with a conversation between uh, Hollis, the original Night Hour, and Sally Jupiter, the original Silk Spectre. Um, this is just some fun nostalgia. I feel like nostalgia is a big theme in this mm-hmm. um, issue. Uh, which I, and then it's, it's Halloween night, there's a bunch of kids going out for some fun. Um, and then to talk about the end of the issue, this, um, bookends the comic, uh, a bunch of people who we see getting all crazed over the course of the issue, go and murder Hollis in his house as these innocent kids then come to trick or treat with him. I feel like this is, uh, very much the, uh, the death of nostalgia, the death of the mm-hmm. old and the world is different now, kind of a take.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, The other part of it, which we actually haven't talked about at all over the course of the podcast, one of the running things in the background that comes to bear this issue is that gang. Uh, And the way that I understand it, there's this band. uh, It's not called—one of the members of the band is called Red Death, which is pretty directly from Mask of the Red Death, the Edgar Allan Poe story. Uh, But the gang, I believe, is called the Pale Horsemen which again is a sign of death. So they're running in the background and they finally make a move here. They've been sort of passing through things. They've occasionally, they got beaten up by Dan and Laurie a couple of issues back. And ultimately here, they end up killing Hollis, at least partially because they think that he is Dan Dryberg. They think that he is the night owl that broke into the prison and they want to take revenge on him. There's a little part of me, and this might be not remembering the last couple of issues well, but does wonder if this is another part of Adrian Veidt's plan to take people out, but maybe not. Hmm.
0: Yeah, this feels just like, to me, just general society is crumbling Mm -hmm. because of the pressure of nuclear war. And this is, I think, makes more of the case that, like, Ozymandias' plan that we find out later is right. Like, the society is crumbling and mm-hmm. he, ne- he needs to rewrite the course of mankind because it's come to rely on Dr. Manhattan to uh, protect them and yeah. solve all their political problems.
1: Yeah. Uh, but like you said, it is a nice uh, a nicely laid out conversation as well. I love – Again, the juxtaposition between—and I know I've been saying that word too much—but uh, yeah. between the old pictures of Hollis Mason and Night Owl and Sally as uh, Silk Specter, and them talking about themselves in costume, in particular, I thought those are just two fun, well laid out panels. Uh, one one thing I want to touch on here, because this is also part of the bookend. This takes place mostly on Halloween night we get to see three trick-or-treaters who later discover the dead body of Hollis Mason, a ghost, a devil, and a pirate. I think the pirate is very clear because we know that pirates are super popular in the way that superheroes are super popular in the real world. Uh, ghost certainly seems to come from old ghosts. Uh, and then there's the devil, which also could tie in death. But what do you take away from this costumes? What do you take away from it? It being set on Halloween.
0: Uh, I think it well I mean costumes the superheroes are wearing costumes like I think it all uh, that all plays pretty pretty directly Uh, last issue we saw that night owl like he fucks way better when he's in his costume (laughs) right Uh, just like all of us yeah and I I think part of it is um, innocence uh, wrapped in sort of horrifying things. Um, so much of this issue is the the flip of that horror, horrifying things uh, wrapped up in innocence where you have these people that just seem like they're hanging out and talking to the newsstand people. And all of a sudden they go and murder Hollis um, and that that juxtaposition of how we try to put ourselves out there and what is actually lying underneath.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, then we jump over to a sequence set at the newsstand. We get to see the uh, Curse of the Black Freighter comic a little bit more. Um, these, I, I think we talked about the cops being the Rosencrass and Guildenstern. I almost yeah. feel like
0: the newsstand
1: people have taken
0: over that job of this issue a little bit. Definitely. Because the cops start to play a more threatening role, uh, later on in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, these are definitely the people on the street. They're dealing with, uh, the world at large. These are like the people in Spider-Man who are like, me. This someone's gotta catch this Green Goblin guy. <laughs> and then they get like buzzed by um the sled uh yeah. flying past.
1: I like that you think Green Goblin rides a sled. I appreciate that.
0: Well he rides the little the air it's sled. It's a glider. It's a glider. glider. That's the yeah. word. Yes. Air sled. <laughs> Uh, and then blighter. we get a
1: scene with uh, Dan and Laurie where they're talking about their plan to break Rorschach out of prison. Uh, two things I wanted to call out about this that I thought were so neat. Now, last issue, the visual motif was all about reflections in circles. We kept seeing yeah. uh, everything reflected in Night Owl's goggles and Dan's glasses in... Archie's, uh, windows or whatever you want to call them, um, over and over and over again, as we kept zooming in and out of that. And for the majority of this comic, uh, for the majority of this issue, excuse me, uh, Dan's glasses and night owl's lenses are opaque. Yeah. Except, except for when he is confronted, by the police officer about halfway through where suddenly you can see his eyes. And I thought this was such a neat little thing to show that even now, even when he's dressed as Dan Dryberg in the scene with Lori towards the beginning, he's still night owl. He's still in costume the entire time. He's confident. And Dave Givens draws him for the first time, really he's standing up straight. His body language is more confident. It's such a subtle little thing, but It's so smart and so clear and so nice. Confidence is the ultimate costume.
0: Mm -hmm, It's true. That's why nobody recognizes me when I'm standing up straight. I'm usually hunched over like a little old witch. That's right. And that's why I go to work completely nude every day, because confidence is the ultimate costume.
1: Hey, man, dress for the job you want. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
0: Naked man in public.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you what. I walk into work just wearing a T-shirt. So far, nobody's hired me as Winnie the Pooh, and it's a real bummer.
0: Uh, you'll get that job, though. I guess. I, where? What office are you walking into that you think Winnie? There's a Winnie the Pooh position.
1: Uh, I walk into Dwayne Reed. Is that where they hire? That's pretty bears? good. There's a, a lot a of honey thing. there. <laughs> there is. I'm always eating that honey, and I'm always getting stuck in their doors. Then after the Dan and Lori stuff, we jump right into the prison stuff with Rorschach. Uh, We get to see him very stoically sitting in his prison cell. He's just waiting for something to happen. Uh, Meanwhile, a bunch of criminals, somebody that he seemingly first uh, tussled with back when he was a superhero called Big Figure, who is a short guy. And that's the funny part. That's Uh, a
0: killer joke. Oh, man. Whew.
1: Yes. I I did like that. I love these little details that they throw in with the old-timey superheroes because uh, and supervillains because they feel so consistent with the comic books of the time.
0: Yeah, and I mean, goofy, I think is what you like these all this super dark, gritty storytelling about all the the heroes. They were dealing with in this comic and all of their back life, all of their earlier crime-fighting stuff is just like Battling a bunch of goofs. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about Rorschach a
1: little bit, because he does, like I said, sit there very still the entire time while he's interacting with Big Figure. Big Figure is threatening him. His goons is threatening him. They say, we have plenty of time. We're going to kill you in jail. You're not going to survive this. Do you think Rorschach knows that he is going to be broken out? Or do you think he knows he has a plan? Or is he just completely disengaged from everything? What's going on with him?
0: I think he is like a uh, sort of a a coiled snake. He's in like full fighting position. He's just fully at peace, fully Rorschach. Um, I I think there's a line here where where we hear that his psychologist has left him. Mm -hmm. And I think that proves that he's right, that he's able to influence that psychologist to fully just give up on society basically. Um, and I think that gives him the the confidence to know whatever happens, I'm going to be ready and be able to be at my peak um, when these people come to try to kill me or whatever. And he is. I mean, throughout this sequence, the series of uh, little bits here, he he's dominates these criminals yeah. who have him pinned in.
1: Yeah. And we do, to jump back a little bit to the newsstand thing, there's two things we find out. One, the guy that he hit with hot oil died. We find that out uh, throughout this issue. Uh, But also, the psychologist does pass by the newsstand. They remark on it a little bit, but they don't know who he is. And initially, I thought that the psychologist was going into the Department of Extraspatial Studies, looking back on it. I don't think he's actually doing that. But one of the big things that happened to this issue that really does make it feel either like the beginning of the final act or the end of the second act is everything starting to come together. Everything is passing by each other. And these coincidences are really, uh, snowballing, so to speak.
0: Yeah. It feels like this issue, especially the section we're about to get to is sort of like putting everything on the table, letting everyone have a look at it while still the action is, is Mm -hmm. plummeting forward. Um, as we get back to the essential mystery that we've sort of not really been paying attention to too much. It's been a lot of like character stuff and Mm -hmm. now we're about to start hitting that full like slope down toward the, the climax.
1: And I think part of that is just plot wise, Dan, the realization that he comes to the last issue that there might be more to what Rorschach is saying than just Ravings of a crazy person He starts to trust that Okay, I worked with this guy back in the day Maybe he's actually onto something Maybe somebody actually is taking out masks Maybe there is some bigger plan that I can't quite see here And we do get to see um, Him Batman out a little bit Putting together all the clues Which I thought was very fun
0: Yeah, Uh so if we, I guess let's get to that We have this scene uh, where the cops Confront him at home he, Dan's pretty panicked um uh in the actual scene with the cop and it feels like he's busted but as soon as the cop leaves he slips back into uh batman night owl mode where he's like we got to do this now they're getting close um and then we get this great progression of scenes that are tipping a hat to all these other things while we're also seeing night owl and silk specter just get ready for their uh super heroic moment which i think is just a what a great montage to sort oh of my God. bring it's, together it's, all the threads.
1: It's so good. If you're not looking at the comic right now, if you're just listening to this, there's a series of pages. They all have six panels at the top and one silent panel at the bottom. And the ones at the bottom are playing off of what's happening at the top, of course, because this is very consistent with what's
0: been going out of the comic. I believe it's called juxtaposition, Alex.
1: Oh, I was trying to avoid using that word again. But Interesting. Yes,
0: I was. felt you feel it. felt I it you sad. say in your heart. So I wanted to say it out loud.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, We get to see them getting everything ready. And this almost to me plays like an overture in a certain way where we get to see the new frontiersman for the first time. We get to see what's happening on this island that's been teased before. We get to see the missing uh, not uh, superhero writer, the missing pirate comic writer who has been working on. He thinks a Hollywood movie. We see the squid monster for the first time being drawn by somebody we, we, we truly
0: it. have no idea what the, that means Yes Nothing I, I definitely remember
1: very vividly uh, i I had completely forgotten about that page Until I got back to it But I remember the first time reading that I was like, "What? what is going on yeah. here?
0: What is yeah, this like, page? It's like, is this a mis- uh, panel from another comic? That's yeah. somehow in here? um yeah totally out of nowhere what do you think going back one section to the new frontiersman obviously like this guy's such a dick and his assistant though is wearing a shirt with a smiley face on it mm-hmm. is that meant to be some sort of like uh pre-comedian reference to like a pre-comedian uh type person is this a person who like just has no vision of the world he's in just a smiley face it's untarnished by blood
1: I mean that might be part of it, certainly, he seems like a very naive, simple bay to use modern parlance uh he nice. but at the same time, I think comedian wore that pin, right, and yeah. he is probably a superhero fanboy, so it might just be a comedian sweatshirt that he picked up somewhere, potentially tight yeah, uh but yeah, I don't know uh and then. We get to see Hollis Mason putting together the jack-o'-lantern, basically bringing around his own horror, his own doom. Once again, we get dripping pumpkin juice over an eye. It looks exactly like the comedian's button with the blood on it. We get that recurring visual motif. Uh, And we get to see they are called, uh, I don't know if they're called Pale Horsemen, but they're from the gang Pale Horse. Uh, bothering the newsstand person and being very upset about everything that's going on. They find out that there is a riot in the jail. They're pretty pissed off about that. It's in a certain way, Rorschach being arrested really is the spark that sets this all off almost more than Russia invading Afghanistan, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, though I do think there's an existential dread for everyone. They're like, we're all gonna die. Is the the newsstand guy is constantly talking about how they, he thinks everyone's gonna die, playing out that anxiety. And even the, the way these panels are laid out, it's such a stressful build, an anxious build. Of it's empty, a pretty empty panel with just the comic book. Then all of a sudden, there's smoke everywhere. There's all these people. There's a dude named Durf. Uh Everyone's crowding into the That's panel. Stressful. Yes. Yeah, meaning you a name, dude named derf stressful exactly that's a weird name <laughs> uh and everyone starts shouting like it, it's building up this is a, the formation of orion um and they're trying to get those Katie's.
1: mm-hmm gotta
0: get they them did. katie's that's that street drug
1: yeah what's your what's your favorite thing about katie about katie yeah
0: uh having katie's yeah taking katie's mm-hmm. uh, I like the way they just Uh, make you crazy, make you want to, like, cut off the sleeves off your jean jackets and, uh, you know, just, like, run amok in the streets.
1: Yeah. Uh, The – I know it was kind of the look at the time, but I immediately thought about Mutant Leader from Dark Knight Returns just because they have the same sort of, like, we're very extreme and we're wearing those very angular sunglasses
0: at night. Yeah. Yeah, It's true. That was the most menacing uh, fashion choice you could make back in the day.
1: Yeah, wear 3D glasses. Terrifying. Uh, And then we go back to the prison. We see Rorschach in a sequence that I am 100% sure Pete absolutely loved, where a dude goes after Rorschach. Rorschach turns around, twists his fingers around, ties his pinkies together through the bars of the jail cell, and then big figure is forced to cut his throat. Rorschach is splashed with the blood, now let nothing is wasted in this comic, right? No, yeah. Nothing is unimportant. What do you take away from the way Rorschach is splashed with the blood? Because it's not—it's not the same design as the comedian's button. It's no. not a Rorschach test because it's only on one side of him. What do you think, Gibbons and John Higgins? Who did the coloring? What do you think they're trying to do with
0: this? Uh, to me, his position uh, makes me think of a toy soldier or uh, just a, a doll who's playing out his part. And he's taking this all this blood on him. He's getting splattered. He's getting tarnished by this shitty situation that he's in.
1: It might also be just to throw something out, but it might also be that he's only half the man right now. You know, he still is Rorschach because as clearly uh, explained a couple of issues back, Walter Kovacs doesn't exist. He thinks himself just Rorschach, but he's missing his skin right now. He's missing the thing that truly makes him him. So maybe that's why he only has this Rorschach blot on the left side of his body.
0: Hmm, I see. Yeah.
1: Well, then we we get a switch of everything that's going on. Now that Night Owl and... uh, wanting to say Sally Specter, Silk Specter. thank you, are in the prison. We switch it, and we get this great panel of them flying over the walls Such as the guards shoot game. him. So good. Uh And the entire time, to get back to the dad of it all, Night Owl is completely in charge. He's
0: so confident the entire time, and it's kind of amazing to see. Yeah, and even though he's dressed like a giant owl in a prison full of people who want to would want to kill him he's totally Mm -hmm. chill about it wearing a cape that doesn't make a lot of sense
1: this is i know we've lumped on the movie a lot on this podcast and i'm sure at some point we'll delve back into the movie and do a full episode about it but man reading over the comic i i think I read the comic, read the comic again, watched the movie, and I haven't read the comic since I watched the movie, so that was stuck in my head. So I was real surprised that they didn't kick anybody's asses at any point here. They basically just walk into the prison, and the whole riot and everything is going on around them, and they don't do much.
0: Yeah. I like that. I think it adds to the tension. It sort of has a haunted house aspect to it, where... Um, they're just trying to find Rorschach. And then when they confront him, you can't tell if he's bad, like he's bad or he's a menace. He's all in red. Uh, it seems like he may have officially lost it. Um, and you just see him go and kill, uh, the one big figure, the one guy who was, uh, trying to kill him off panel in the bathroom and then walk out with the, with the heroes. I mean, I, ever since I've read this, I pretty much assume anytime
1: somebody says I have to go to the men's room that they're killing somebody in there. It's definitely true for me half the time. Yes. Two things I want to point out visually that go on. One, when Rorschach walks out of his cell, he walks through a puddle of blood and leaves footprints of blood exactly like he did back in the very first issue of the comic. Although this time now we know that Walter Kovacs is in fact Rorschach. Uh, and then the other thing that happens that I think is so great with the coloring that John Higgins puts in the book is after Rorschach kills Big Figure, he walks out of the room. And like you mentioned, everything is in red. He's cut out the electricity from the jail, so there's no lights on there, only the emergency lights. And we see this puddle coming out, and you would potentially assume out of a bathroom, given that the puddle is just all red and reflective, it could be piss, it could be water. But we know even without seeing it, that it's big figures blood that's coming out there. And it's such a great choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea that you look at this and your first thought is like, Hey, that could be piss. Yeah.
1: Hey man, it's a bathroom.
0: Could be Gatorade. It could be yellow Gatorade.
1: Again, at the Dwayne Reed where I'm trying to get my Winnie the Pooh job, a lot of, a lot of piss in there.
0: Yeah. The like all Dwayne Reads. So I, I especially, this is something they should have done in the movie is, Rorschach doesn't go in and kill that dude. He just goes in there and just like sprays pee all over the place. <laughs> so much. He's been holding he's been holding it in the entire time he's been in jail, and finally mm-hmm. he's like, oh th- yes. That's Had why he goes to the men's room.
1: That's why he's sitting so straight up. Because yes. he's full of piss. Piss and vinegar, I gotta
0: say. Yeah, you gotta say that.
1: Yeah. The other thing that he probably does, frankly, like knowing Rorschach, knowing what's going on here, probably goes in, puts all the seats up. And just walks out. Oh, what a and bastard. And you like, put him down. Come on, man.
0: Yeah, come on. What People don't want to touch that, right? When yeah. they're in there and got to go. Do you
1: think Rorschach washes his hands when he leaves the bathroom?
0: Uh, no, I bet he's like reads articles about how the dirtiest part of the bathroom is the knob on the sink. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm not touching that.
1: Yeah. Speaking of dirty things, uh, we get an interesting interaction when he shows up and sees Silk Spectre and Night Owl there uh, where he tells Night Owl, oh, good to see you back in the costume, Dan. Uh, Laurie, I never liked your costume. It's gross, which, you know, whatever you want to get into with like the misogyny incel nature of Rorschach, it's still a very funny and very clearly Rorschach
0: exchange that he has there. Yeah, I mean, that's an insulting thing to say to your superhero friend. It's like, hey, work on the costume a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's it's gross, but for some reason it works for me here just because Rorschach is being such a weirdo and we've been away from him for so long and learned that he's such a bad, gross guy uh, that seeing him compared to Night Owl and Silk Spectre, it, it diffuses it a little bit. It feels well, and
0: also, like. I think it matches the idea of, like, like, Night Owl's his buddy, and he has his new girlfriend out with him. He's like, oh, I thought it was just going to be you and I hanging out, and she's right. going to be here. <laughs> like, I thought we were going to go, like, play darts. What's, yeah. what's she doing here? We're we friends. Do? I love you. Go see some rom-com or something. Come on, man. Come on. It was our night. We're going to do go up to the water tower and write our names. <laughs>
1: Uh, so then they uh, head out in Archie in the owl ship. Another great shot of Rorschach hanging out the top of the owl ship as they fly away for the prison. Uh, and then they get back and there's kind of a big twist where Laurie, who has been touching on talking about Dr. Manhattan the entire issue, accidentally mentioning his name because she's just off the relationship with him and keeps apologizing about it, talks about, I wish somebody would just take care of this for us. And Dr. Manhattan, totally dude, just holding a magazine, reading about himself, mind you, shows up in her bedroom to be like, oh, we're actually having a conversation right now on Mars. That hasn't happened yet for you, but it's happening simultaneously for me. Just thought I'd come down here and let you know we're going to Mars now. Uh, What do you think Dr. Manhattan wants out of this conversation?
0: I don't think he wants... Uh, anything? I think he really is just like fulfilling the the gears of the clock um, that he he says he is.
1: Well, what about uh, on the other end of the spectrum? What about Laurie? Uh, this is something we touched on in a couple of episodes of this podcast, but particularly we delved into it a bit in the last episode. What Laurie wants, and here, do you think there is anything? To her constantly dropping Dr. Manhattan's name, to her being totally fine to just say, Oh, I'm going to Mars. See you later, Dan. Bye. At the end, is she still not as into the relationship with Dan as Dan is with Lori? What's your take on it?
0: Well, I think they're opposites. Like, I think when she was with John and uh, finally their relationship falls apart because he's being too much for her. Um, she left, sort of falls for Dan because he's the most human, the most like every man of anyone that she hangs out with yet still has the touches of the superhero side. So she g- can get a little bit of everything with him. But then when she sort of conjures him out of nowhere and it's like, oh, this is my guy. He's all powerful. He doesn't he doesn't have issues with confidence. He just is what he is. She gets swept back up into him. I think she's just in the middle of her uh, a tough spot, but I think at the end of it she loves the the Dr. Manhattan that she first met so many years ago and Night Owl just isn't enough to to fill that gap.
1: There's also the possibility that she's lazy, frankly, uh, that's something that not, not to take her down a notch, but that's something that Sally mentions right at the beginning of the issue where she tells Hollis Mason on the phone. Oh, it's so funny that Laurie is going out and doing this stuff. She never really wanted to put it into the work to be a superhero. She was always kind of annoyed and bored by it um certainly that's sally's take and she has her own take but it could be a relief in a certain way to lori to say oh thank god okay we don't have to figure out a mystery we don't have to break anybody else out of prison great john is here he's going to solve everything
0: yeah i think that's that's a, there's a little truth to that but also i think she's someone who has never really made her own decisions in her life like she just became a superhero because her mom sort of made her she was with john because it was convenient um Though I do think she actually loves him. She was with Dan because he was chasing after her. And then this is – and she doesn't even really have to make a decision here because Dr. Manhattan is like, no, you are talking to me in one hour. And so she's like, okay. And then (laughs) off she goes.
1: Uh, Then we get to see Rorschach and Night Owl escaping from the police in a parallel to the scene of Night Owl and Laurie leaving by the tunnel, the last issue. And then we get to the saddest scene in the issue, which we talked about earlier. But Hollis Mason getting killed by this gang. It's intercut with scenes of him in his prime beating up villains and having a great time doing it. And it's... Even though we haven't spent a lot of time with Hollis
0: Mason, it's gutting, I think, the sequence. Yeah, I think because at our core, if you read comic books and then you find Watchmen, like, Hollis represents sort of regular comics. And so to see him die, even though we don't know too much about him as an individual, it sort of, it feels like, you know, Batman, you're, you're the comic characters you sort of grew up and have nostalgia for are just being murdered right in front of you.
1: Yeah. Well, in a certain way, then, would you say the leader of the Pale Horse is Alan Moore? And he's like, yep, that's it. Watchmen killed superhero comics.
0: I mean, yeah, I do. Like, especially, I think when these kids, in the last panel of the issue, when the kids walk in and see his dead body, like, I think that's sort of that's the comic book industry being like, oh shit, things just got fucked up in here. <laughs> <laughs> because after this comic, it was like, oh, uh, there's a, it's a whole new game out there.
1: Now, one other last thing that I wanted to mention uh, is Hooded Justice. This is a character that we haven't spent a lot of time with, but will become important, I believe, if I remember correctly, pretty soon. The ghost character who shows up, the trick-or-treater who's dressed like a ghost who shows up towards the end, looks a lot like Hooded Justice at least in terms of the profile, then immediately following that, we get the new Frontiersman article that's, honor is like the hawk, sometimes it must go hooded. And there's also a lowercase reference to hooded justice in the text of one of those articles as well. So uh, what I think is most interesting about that, I don't think we're getting to it immediately, but it's more... Essentially saying, hey, don't forget about this Hooded Justice character. I know we're saying we killed off the past, but we're not quite done with it completely.
0: Yeah, because it does inform like uh, everything is meaningful. It's just the this issue especially puts a real flag in just what a dystopian world um, is happening around all of this action right now.
1: And just to get back to the HBO show of it all, I think it's going to be kind of fascinating to see focus on Hooded Justice just because Sister Night, who is Regina King's character in the show, seems clearly inspired in the text of the show by Hooded Justice. So I think there's going to be a lot of riffs on that relatively underserved character when we watch the TV show, but we'll have to see.
0: It almost like feels like the, the TV series, uh, the more we see of it, is like, oh, it's all happening again. From mm-hmm. the beginning So yep. it's not It's using all of the The, the, the Watchmen stuff that we know And setting it after that But mm-hmm. the cycle is beginning Once again Yeah Because we're Anything. starting with Hood of Justice And Rorschach is there But in a different thing it's, Everything is remixed But it is from the very same beginning Yeah Anything else you want to say about this issue Before we wrap up here? Uh, comics are good I agree If you'd like
1: to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 PM at the people's improv theater loft in New York. Come on by. We'll chat with you about Watchmen. Couple of places you can check out this podcast. You can go to Facebook Watchmen, watch podcast. Also Instagram Watchmen, watch podcast on Twitter. Watchmen, watch one. Sorry, we couldn't get Watchmen, watch podcast. That's just how Twitter works. Also, you can check out the podcast at ComicBookClubLive.com. Subscribe, rate, and leave a comment on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. And remember, we taped this podcast 35 minutes ago.
0: Alan just texted me. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Pete is bad at karaoke. I'll definitely be there (laughs) next week.